This morning, we're continuing in Romans chapter 8, as we're working our way through Paul's great letter to the Roman church. So we're in Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. I invite you to follow along for the reading of God's word. Paul writes, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who uh, subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is God's word. Father in heaven, we do ask now that you would open our hearts and minds again to receive your truth and receiving it that we would see Again, the beauty of our Savior who redeems us from our sin and that our faith would be strengthened and built up. And for those who have no faith, who know not Christ, that you would open their eyes to your truth so that your spirit might work within them that great regenerative work that they might become your sons and daughters. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are told in our world today that brokenness is beautiful. But is it really? I mean, do we really think that things that are broken and decayed and falling apart and worn, that they are really better than those that are fresh and whole and clean and new? You know, I've seen photography galleries of abandoned structures portrayed as art. And there is admittedly something hauntingly interesting about seeing those decaying buildings. You look and you're just kind of amazed by the destruction that is happening. But is it beautiful? No, it is not. Brokenness is not beautiful. And to pretend only or to pretend otherwise is, is really only an attempt to, to cover up, to put a band-aid on what we don't want to recognize, that the world does indeed suffer, that things do die, that the dif- dysfunctional lives we live in this dysfunctional world are not the way things are supposed to really be. It's not okay to be broken. It's not okay that things fall apart. 
It's not okay that messiness and imperfection are all over this world. That is not the ideal form of the world. It is not okay to be not okay. And acting like it is, or just accepting it, is a cruel substitute for the truth. You see, we sinful humans... We've left a stain upon God's good creation through our rebellion against God as our creator. And all creation now is cursed. It suffers under a curse because we have sinned. And that curse has brought about all the suffering and the pain and the death and the decay we see around us. Calling that curse beautiful is simply a human attempt to redeem what we know deep down in our hearts is not right and it doesn't work. Because if we're honest, we we really don't accept the brokenness as being something beautiful. We really don't believe that. Brokenness is not beautiful, but God is. God is perfectly beautiful. Every facet of His being shines with glorious perfection, so much so that it is far too wonderful for us to even look upon it. But we long for it. Augustine said, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in You. Thankfully, God, through His gospel, is making all things, all things new. The impact of His redeeming work is far-reaching. It transforms not just His people, but the very creation itself. The ugly things, the things that decay, all that is wrong is being made new by the power of God in Christ. And that's what we learn in our text this morning. And oh, how we need to hear that message. I need to hear that message. Because admittedly, I'm tired. I'm tired of all the sin in my own heart and in the world. I'm tired of suffering. I'm tired of the the shadow of death. I'm tired of bitterness and pain and sorrow. I'm tired of evil and corruption and decay. And I know that you are too. And so let us then listen to what God has for us in these words of Paul. And the very first thing we see is a certain truth. And that certain truth in verse 18 is this, is that present pain, present sorrow, is not even worth comparing to the glory that belongs to those who are in Christ, the glory that will be revealed. So verse 18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I mean, Paul was intimately familiar with suffering. We know that. He suffered more than uh, after he became a Christian than you and I will probably ever suffer in this life. He details many of his sufferings and sorrows in 2 Corinthians. Uh, 11. Listen to, to all that happened to Paul. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift in the sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these, uh, from other things, he adds, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety, my concern for all the churches. That's quite a list. (laughs) Beating shipwrecks, bones broken and smashed by stones, near drowning, imprisonment, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, cold and exposure, and on top of all that, this lingering anxiety in his heart over his ministry to the churches he was planting. That's a list I don't really want to repeat. It's a lot of suffering. But notice what he says about all that suffering here in verse 18 of our text in Romans 8. He says, all of that, it's not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, sometimes as Christians, you will hear us try to comfort one another in the midst of our sorrow and say, hold on, just hold on. All of this will be worth it. And that is no doubt well-meaning and good intention, and there's some truth to that. We're trying to give comfort and hope to press on in the face of hard trials and tribulations. But Paul says here, You know, all of that suffering, all that sorrow, it's not even worth the time to compare it to the glory that is yours in Christ Jesus. Why? Because is the suffering so great? No. It's because the glory is so good. You can't make the comparison. Paul tried. He says, I considered. I thought long and hard. I I turned it over in my mind. I, I tried to place a value on suffering that I was experiencing in comparison to the glory to be revealed. And I found that there was no comparison. And the reason for that is this, is because suffering, as he says here, it's only a present thing. But the glory is eternal. Let's say you live a life of a hundred years. Be pretty remarkable. Those years, are, of course, are filled with all sorts of pain and sickness and hurt and suffering because we live in this cursed world. We live in a sinful world. But what is 100 years in comparison to an infinite eternity of glory? There's no comparison there. It's not even an equation worth trying to figure out. That's what Paul is saying. And what is this this infinitely eternal glory? Well, it's the final act of redemption, of God's outworking of salvation through Christ, and it never ends. It's the completion of all God's promises to make all things new. And that means that sin is erased and will never, ever exist Again, it means that death is ended. One day, the last person will die, and that's it. After the resurrection, there's no more death ever 
again. All pain will end. There will be no more doctors telling you, I'm sorry, but it's cancer. There'll be no more earthquakes crushing people as they sleep. No more floods that wash away homes, livelihoods, and dreams. No more bombs dropped from skies upon mothers and children and fathers and brothers and sisters. No more sons who march off to long wars. No more needle track lines and overdoses. No more smashed windows and burning cities and overturned cars. No more children destroyed before they can take their first breath. No more triggers pulled in hatred and anger against their neighbor. No more hospital beds. No more graves. No more marriages ending in courtrooms. No more tears. No more crying. But it's not only the end of all that is bad and evil and broken and wrong that Paul has in mind when he speaks of this glory that will be revealed. Because it is all that is good going on forever and ever. The glory to be revealed ultimately is the glory of Jesus Christ that he shares with us when we are united in, in him. It is to be with God in Christ through his spirit forever, to enjoy his goodness, his provision, his blessings forever and ever. He who formed heaven and earth and filled it with all sorts of wonder will be with us we can look upon Him with our eyes and know Him as we have never known Him before. I mean, consider the wonders of this earth that we have now, the the beauty of sunrises and sunsets on the horizon, the joy of a newborn baby, the strange and marvelous things that are in the depths of the deepest oceans, things that we are only now discovering after thousands of years of exploration. If a God who made all of this wonder that we see now with just the word of his power, what will he have in store for us in the glory to be revealed? What wonders will his hands do that we can't even begin to imagine And how beautiful will the sounds of this world be when they join in perfect harmony with our Savior's voice. Yes, there is suffering in the present time. Jesus told us there would be. He said there would be times of tribulation, a great tribulation. We are in that time. But he also told us they're not going to last. Because the king, the judge of all heaven and earth will return. The days of suffering and sorrow will soon end. The brokenness will give away to true beauty, the beauty of God in Christ when his glory is fully revealed in all the earth and in us. That is the certain truth of verse 18. Present pain cannot be compared with the glory that is coming. And secondly, because of that certain truth then, creation, all of creation, has a certain hope. That certain hope is that present tribulation will give birth to joyful transformation. This present tribulation that we are in will give birth to a joyful 
transformation. And indeed, that birth is already taking place. Paul says in verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, creation, of course, is all the world, both the inanimate and the animate, the personal and the impersonal world. The creation is the rocks, the trees, the great oaks and the tiny flowers and all the fish and the deepest fathoms of the sea and the trout that swim in free-flowing rivers and the eagles that soar to lofty mountaintops, the hummingbirds that flutter from flower to flower, elephants on the plains of Africa and buffalo in the plains of North America, the moon, planets, and stars so distant that their light has yet to capture our eyes. All of that waits with an eager longing, an intense expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. An eager longing is hopeful. It is expectant. It's the sitting on the edge of your seat when Michigan is going for it on fourth down at the goal line. Or when someone takes that, that long shot from half court as the seconds are ticking away on the clock. It's that kind of eager expectation. What is creation eagerly waiting for like that? Well, the final act of God's salvation of His people. That is when our redemption reaches its full measure, when our bodies, as I mentioned last week, are transformed and glorified and they catch up to who we already are in Christ. When we will be like Christ when He returns as judge of all the earth. The incorruptible will put on, or the corruptible will put on incorruption. Death will be no more. That's the longing of creation. It's longing for the coming of its creator to finish the work that he started when he was first made into the likeness of sinful flesh. Because when that happens, creation's full purpose will be restored. All will function as it was designed to function from the beginning. That's why creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Because as we see in verse 20, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So when sin entered the world, the, the, the covenant curse of God fell upon humanity for their breaking of God's law. And part of that curse brought corruption upon all of creation. We read of that in Genesis 3.17. God says to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So all creation then fell into this bondage because of our sin. Thus it cannot at this moment, fulfill its intended purpose. You see, creation was designed to be a source of life, to sustain us as humans. It was to provide for us from the the fruit of the ground. There was not to be pain and sorrow and suffering, but an abundance of God's provision. 
But when sin came into the world, so did the thorns and the thistles and the earthquakes and the droughts and the floods and the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the ice storms that bring destruction because creation has been cursed. With sin coming into the world, the earth, which was supposed to support life, now becomes an unwilling tomb for all who die. Its dust is filled with the dust of all creatures who perish. That is the decay and the brokenness around us. And no, it's not a good thing. It's not how things were supposed to be. There's no beauty in that. The corruption of the world, the fact that things are breaking down, falling apart, cells are dying by the millions, that is a constant reminder proclaiming to us that you are cursed. You have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. Sin has come. And so now the curse stretches from east to west, north to south, and all the way out into the furthest reaches of space. There is no part of the universe that is not affected by sin's decay. But all of that will change. And all of that is changing. And so when Christ returns to finish what He has already started, the redemption of a people for His name, all of that, will end. And creation is earnestly waiting then for the revealing, the final redemption of all the children of God in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So our freedom from corruption as God's people will free all creation from its corruption. And we sing this, we sing this in praise to God actually every Christmas season, don't we? But we ought to let our hearts sing it more often. No more let sin and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground for Christ comes to make His blessings flow as far as as the cur- for curse is found. That's the joy to the world. It's the certain hope for all creation. And till it comes, Paul says, all creation is groaning like a woman in labor. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groan- groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And think about childbirth in labor for a moment. It is certainly a time of suffering and pain. It's a tribulation. But it's also, at the same time, a time of great joy, of eager longing, of the revealing of the child. And so all creation, like a mother, has this expectant hope. It is in this time of tribulation, this groaning, 
The earth still struggles under the curse placed upon it because of our sin. But the power of that curse is already broken because Christ has come and died and risen and ascended and he is coming again. The redeeming work of transformation has already begun and it's seen in the redemption of every person who comes into the kingdom of Christ by faith in him. The birth of a new age has begun and it's about to be completed. So the time of labor, the time of tribulation, is also a time of joy in the midst of a time of sorrow. Creation will fulfill the purpose for which it was made. And all creation is waiting to see the beauty that God is about to unleash upon the world. Everything will finally be made new. Majestic trees will be even more majestic. And sunsets and sunrises that leave us in awe now will be filled with colors we cannot even imagine. Oceans and rivers and lakes will be filled with the purest, cleanest water we have ever seen. And they will abound with creatures great and small simply for our pleasure to look upon and enjoy and marvel and wonder. Kittens and puppies will be softer in the new heavens and the new earth. And best of all, As we've already noted, there will be no death, no decay. All that beauty and that glory and that awe and that wonder will go on and on and on forever and ever and ever. That's the joy that is there. The expectant hope that creation is groaning for in its labor. It's a certain hope. That the present tribulation is giving away to glorious renewal. You see, creation is not going to be annihilated in the judgment of God. The Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible shows when it speaks of God's judgment melting all that is, is not a total destruction, but a refining fire. That it burns away, that purges away all the corruption, that melts away the curse as all things are dissolved under the wrath of God and they are renewed and reformed for His glory. And we who are God's people by faith in Christ will enjoy that new heavens and new earth forever. You see, heaven isn't sitting on clouds floating around playing harps. You can enjoy the goodness of God's creation that he will provide. And so the psalmist writes in Psalm 98, let the sea roar in awe that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes, he comes what? To judge the earth. And he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. When he does that, all things will be made new. That's the song of creation's certain hope. But notice that this hope that is certain is not just creation's hope, is it? It is the Christian's certain hope as well. Because what you have in Christ confirms what will be. All creation is aching, longing, groaning like a woman in labor, like a laboring mother. But there is a groaning ache in the hearts of every believer as well. So verse 23, Paul writes, not only the creation, not only the creation is groaning, 
But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We ache because we live in a world of ache and present suffering. And just like creation also has this hope of renewal, so do we as believers. Our hope is in the same thing. The completion, the the consummation of our redemption. And here, Paul describes that as the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Both of these, of course, we saw last week as Paul described them earlier in Romans chapter 8. But there's something different here in verse 23 from when we looked back on spiritual adoption in verse 15. You see that? Earlier... Paul spoke of believers having received already the spirit of adoption. Speaking of something that's already occurred, but here he says that we eagerly anticipate, we await the adoption of sons. So which is it? Is it something that's already happened or is it something that will occur? Well, the point Paul's trying to say is it's both. It's both. You see, Paul's eschatology, that's his his doctrine of the end of all things, is one of the already and the not yet. So if you are in Christ, you already are an adopted son or daughter of God. But you haven't received all the blessings, all the inheritance yet of that identity. And the final part of that comes with the coming of Christ in glory. And that's why Paul speaks of adoption both in the present and in the future. It is a present blessing and a blessing yet to come. Again, look what he says in verse 23. He says that believers have the first fruits of the Spirit. So what is a first fruit? It's not a word we usually use now. First fruits are the first part of the harvest, the first batch. There is more that is on its way, more to come. But you do have something. You have some fruit that you can eat and enjoy and cook or make wine or whatever the fruit is. You have a first fruit. Another way to think of first fruit is foretaste. A taste that you have before the real meal. So it's like when we have guests coming for a meal and all the delicious food is prepared. And I can smell it and I can see it. And then when Heather isn't looking, I go ahead and grab a fork and I taste it. Hopefully she didn't see. That taste is the, fir- the foretaste, the, the first fruit. In a little bit, we're going to sit down and enjoy the full meal. See, God has given His Spirit to indwell all believers. He dwells within us. Back in verse 11 of Romans 8, we saw that, that if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That indwelling Spirit of God in you right now, that is a foretaste of heaven's glories. It is a foretaste of full redemption. It is the new creation dwelling within you. And one day, it'll come out in all of its fullness in this beautiful transformation as we are glorified, we are made to be like Christ. That's what we ache 
and long for and hope for. One day this mortal body will be risen to join that which your spirit already knows and enjoys, the presence of God forever. As Paul says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. We are saved in this hope. Not will be saved, but we're already saved in this hope. What hope? The hope that all creation is waiting for. In other words, what you already have in Christ, your salvation confirms what will be full salvation. You have the first fruits, the foretaste of that rest that is to come. You enjoy a little bit of that meal now, and one day the full banquet will follow. That Christian hope is our certain reality. And so we ache for it, we long for it, we groan, we're hungry for more of heaven's glories and for the righteousness of God to prevail in this world. We suffer trials and tribulations while we are patiently waiting for the consummation of all that God has promised us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is so close, close enough to taste it, close enough to savor it. And it is in that savoring, that little bit of taste, that as we come together and worship the Lord together as his people, that we find the strength to wait, to endure. Verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And patience is simply endurance, perseverance. It is ongoing faith in this certain hope because we have that first fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives. And so notice that Paul doesn't say here that, hey, you're not going to grow weary of this world. He doesn't say you're never going to suffer, that you can have your best life right now. That is not what he says. In fact, he says, yeah, there are sufferings in this present world He doesn't say that you should just try to find some sort of beauty in all this brokenness. He says, no, don't be content with it, but pray for the completion of your redemption. Groan with all creation. Wait patiently. Endure in the hope that you already have in Christ. Long with an eager expectation for the glories of heaven to be revealed. Because it's in that longing of the full revelation of our redemption that we are continuing in our faith until He comes. And so press on. Press on through all the suffering and the sorrow and the hard days and the bad times. Press on when you sin and run back to Christ and find His forgiveness. Press on through the present tribulation. Feel that longing and that groaning in your soul. Because all that we feel now in suffering isn't even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for this glorious blessing that is ours now that we can taste of in part. 
and how it stirs up within us a hunger so that we groan and long for the final redemption. And in that longing, we pray, as we see in the end of your word, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and make it so. To the praise of your glory and your honor, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.